This message first aired on the radio on August 14, 2003. Here we have a very difficult problem. We see the integrity of Joseph here. This is the kind of integrity that's hard to come by. This is the kind of a test that maybe not many can pass. Here's this man's wife every single day trying to seduce Joseph. And he's told her his position. He, I think he was pretty polite. He calls it a great wickedness. And how different is this than his brother Reuben, who went into his father's wife. Here Joseph will not take her advances and refuses her. And so we have now the fury of a woman scorned, which maybe is legend among men, quite well known. And it came to pass, it says, about this time, Joseph went into his house to do his business. He had to go into the house. There were none of the men in the house with him. She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. Verse 12. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. Good lesson here. Paul told Timothy, flee youthful lusts, run away. That's the only way to resist severe sexual temptation in any case. The only way to resist it is to run away. If you dawdle about, if you toy with it, if you meditate on it, certainly you'll be in that sin in no time. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he has brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. Of course, she's actually there picking on her husband. It's not like a wife to do that, is it? We'll be back in just a minute to take up more about this woman and what happens to poor Joseph. Well, we're here now at Joseph's very difficult situation. Here, this woman now has been seeking after him, and now she determines she's insulted that he leaves her his outer garment in her hand. Now, he didn't flee out naked. He, he certainly is wearing a work coat and inner garments, but he did run. And she now decides, being scorned, being rejected, and of course having a big problem with her husband, obviously, in the first place, she said, you see, he has brought in a Hebrew to mock us, verse 14. Of course, the he is her husband. He came in, that he now, Joseph, unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass, when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home, and she spake unto him, that is Potiphar, according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou brought unto us came in unto me to mock me, and it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled out. So she lies about him, and it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, and there he was where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. Now, this is a shame, and these kind of things happen. The interesting thing is, what happens inside you? What happens inside me? What happens to our faith when we become victimized by misunderstanding, or worse than misunderstanding, evil deeds? How do we respond to evil? Well, the first thing we shouldn't do is be surprised. We know that we're of God, and the whole world lies in the evil one. And some have said, well, here's a lesson, never be alone with a woman no matter what. And whereas I agree with that, remember that this guy had to go into his house to do his business, 
And there's no blame given to Joseph here whatsoever. He is not imprudent. And, of course, being falsely charged, someone bearing false witness against you, that's a very difficult thing to take. Yes, it's not fair. It's even worse when someone is a judge responsible for finding you to do evil when you did none. This is a very difficult situation. Joseph now in prison, probably wondering what has happened to him, where's God, But it says in verse 21, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And it's interesting here, the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatever they did there, he was the doer of it. That is to say, Joseph took over the prison. Joseph went from running Potiphar's house to running the prison. It says the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with Joseph, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. So you couldn't give Joseph enough stuff to do. You were ahead because the Lord was with Joseph. You were ahead as one of his employers, as it were, or is actually worse than that. This guy is, at first, he's a bought slave. He's chattel property to Potiphar, and now he's a prisoner or the prison keeper, and yet they turn over the administration of things to him. And we'll even see that Pharaoh does that. Now, in chapter 40, we have Joseph's release from prison. And it's very interesting because he finds his release from prison because he's a revealer of secrets. And you remember that as the revealer of secrets, Joseph is a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you remember that Joseph first had dreams prophetic about himself and about the future of Israel as he dreamt that his brothers and his father and his mother would even bow down to him or his father's wife, not necessarily Joseph's mother, Rachel, as Israel had four wives, really, two wives, two concubines. But it says, And it came to pass after these things, Genesis chapter 40, that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And you may know this story. We won't read it all. Time doesn't permit it here to get to our major points. But the butler and the baker. Now, the butler is the king's cupbearer. That's actually his uh, position that has sort of religious overtones to it. Later, we see Nehemiah is in that position, the king's cupbearer. He becomes an advisor to the king, actually. He's not just a guy that walks around with a cup. It is tied up with heathen religion. We won't go to that too much today. But there's the cupbearer and there's the baker, and they're both thrown in prison for some reason or other that we don't know. Obviously, they were not pleasing to the king. And the cupbearer is the king's prognosticator, or he's the king's seer. That is some of his job. And maybe he gave bad advice. Uh, We don't know, but he found disfavor with the pharaoh, who is the king, and like a king, more like an emperor. And he was thrown in prison for that displeasure. And additionally, the pharaoh's baker was thrown in prison. And now a baker in Egypt is a very important person. Egypt's all about bread. When If you're the baker, you're dealing with bread. And just today, I was researching a little bit about uh, Egypt and bread. And Egyptians eat about three times the amount of wheat that other people do, even to this day. Bread in Egypt's a big issue. Okay, so now here the both the cupbearer, or called the chief butler in the King James Version, and the baker have dreams. You remember this maybe from reading, and the butler had a dream about some branches, and it brought forth uh, some ripe grapes, and he squeezes the grapes into the pharaoh's cup, and he gives it to the pharaoh, 
and that's the end of his dream, and he wants an interpretation. And Joseph said, three days from now, Pharaoh will lift up your head that hangs down, and I say, lift up your head and restore you to your position, meaning that he'll lift your head up that hangs down. Now, the baker heard this good news. Now, Joseph also told that fellow, by the way, now when you go back, he's going to restore you into your position. When you go back into your position, you to be sure and remind Pharaoh that I'm stuck in a prison and I didn't do anything. So now the chief baker saw that there was good news that was given to the cupbearer. So he said, well, here's my dream. I had three baskets of uh, baked meats upon my head and I had these three white baskets on my head, and one of them had all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh, and the birds did eat out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph said, well, here's your interpretation. There's those birds again, by the way. Those of you that like the little birdies, notice what the interpretation of this dream is. Three days, Pharaoh will lift your head up off your shoulders, and that's it. And he doesn't say to that fellow, Now, you be sure and remind Pharaoh that I'm stuck down here because he knows that fellow's not going to be around. And came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and the chief baker among his servants, and he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again. That's the cupbearer. And he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph interpreted him. And yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. And I want to say that God now adds to Joseph's testing. And not only was he put in prison for a wrong reason, but here he helps a man out. And the man is at Pharaoh's hand, and the man fails to help him. Even though he sought help, even though I'm sure the man promised that he would help, yet uh, Joseph is left without help. And that must have been so disappointing, because the next chapter says at the end of two years, Pharaoh dreamed. And so two years uh, after Joseph interpreted those dreams, and after he did such a a wonderful work, really, for the cupbearer, and the cupbearer is restored to his position, now Pharaoh is the one that dreams. So we have quite a bit of dreaming going on here in this uh, portion of the book of Genesis, this phase. We had Joseph dreaming, we had the, the cupbearer dreaming, we have the baker dreaming. Now we have Pharaoh dreaming, and you remember Pharaoh's dream, maybe, if you're familiar with the Scripture. Pharaoh had two dreams, and one dream was about cows. Cows, of course, very prominent in Egypt and all over the world, but prominent in Egypt. He dreamt that there were seven fat, nice-looking cows, and seven lean cows came and ate them up. And then he had a second dream, and there were seven nice ears of corn on a single stalk. And then along came seven real skinny corn cobs on a different stock, and they ate up the fat ones, and all that was left was the withered-up corn. And now this fellow, it says in Genesis 41.8, came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof, and Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh." Now, these fellows seem to have a little more integrity than the fellows in Babylon later when we see Nebuchadnezzar having a dream. He won't tell them the dream. In one case, that he forgot the dream, and he he couldn't tell it to him. But in another case, he told him, you tell me what the dream is and the interpretation, because he knew that they would just make up an interpretation. At least these guys admitted that they could not interpret his dreams. 
In fact, it says this, It came to pass the morning, his spirit was troubled. He sent and called all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof, and Pharaoh told them his dream. There was none that could interpret. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Now, here it is two years later, and he says he finally remembers that he failed to remember Joseph. It says, Now, Pharaoh was wroth with his servants, uh, this is he's not telling Pharaoh this. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put me in ward in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker, and we dreamed a dream in one night, I and he. We dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream, and there was with us a young man, a Hebrew, servant to the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted to us our dreams to each man according to his dream did he interpret. And it came to pass as he interpreted to us, so it was. Me he restored unto my office, and him he hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. So we see now, here on two occasions, uh, Joseph is being called a Hebrew. He was called a Hebrew by Potiphar's wife, and now he's being called a Hebrew by the cupbearer, the butler. And he is now becoming known, and the Hebrew is now known as the one who is able to interpret dreams. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, I dreamed a dream. There's none that can interpret it. And, of course, Joseph says that I have no ability inside myself to interpret your dream, but God will interpret it for you. And this is so much the same as what Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, that one can hardly mistake this kind of ministry. And let me say, this is the ministry that God has for his people to the world around them. This is the ministry, in this case, of a Hebrew to those who will become the Gentiles once there's Israel, and it is also the ministry of Daniel when the world power is turned over to Nebuchadnezzar, and it is what God intended for Israel to be. God intended Israel to be a light to the nations, and Israel refused. And so, therefore, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world, came out to people such as me, and if you're a former Gentile, people such as you, and has given you, therefore, uh, the wonderful opportunity to be a blessing to others and to tell them what God says. And one of the great things that uh, you can do as a child of God, and if you've become qualified to do so by reading his word and having more wisdom than all your teachers because you pay attention to the word like David did, then opportunities do arise where you can give the counsel of God to people who desperately need it and be a blessing that way. And what a tremendous thing it is to be able to do that. So now Joseph said, I don't have the interpretation in me, but God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And then Pharaoh tells Joseph of his dream. And of course, Joseph says, well, there's going to come very quickly a famine. Your dream is going to come to pass very soon. There's a famine coming. But before it comes, you will have seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Now, that's a long famine, seven years. And Joseph now gives prudent advice. He says to Pharaoh, now, therefore, look out. Find a man discreet and wise, set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land, and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. Well, five is the number of grace. It's an interesting thing. It's This is the grace of God that they're forewarned, and Joseph is a prudent man. 
He's giving Pharaoh much more prudent advice than you hear men give our leaders today. I'll tell you that. And Joseph says, during these seven years of plenty, take 20% of the harvest and put it away in the cities. That's the way I understand this. The fifth part, take 20% of all the harvest and put it away and put storage in the cities. Don't leave it out in the field. Leave it into the cities, and then there will be food so that the people of the land will not perish from off the land. The thing about Pharaoh that separates him from most leaders is he listens to Joseph. We'll see that and come back. Now, here Pharaoh separates himself, as I said right before the break, that he listens to Joseph. And that really, here's the amazing thing. I mean, it's one thing for God to bring his counsel to a leader. And I believe God has many ways of bringing his own counsel to the world leaders. But the thing that distinguished this fellow is that he listened to it. Of course, we wouldn't read about him if he didn't because there wouldn't have been any Egypt. But uh, he listened to Joseph and says in verse 37, The thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is a man in whom the spirit of God is, now this is really, he's saying, the spirits of the gods, it would be something like that, because he wouldn't know anything about God's spirit in man. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as you are. You will be over my house, and according to thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And so Joseph continues on his amazing career of being over whatever house he's placed in, whether it's Potiphar's house, whether it's the jail house, and now here he's over all of Pharaoh's house. And humble yourselves into the mighty hand of the Lord, and he will exalt you in due time. Joseph here, two years in prison, must have been in despair. He was not even charged. He was just stuck in there. No trial. It was all unfair. And now Pharaoh says unto Joseph, See, I have set you over the entire land of Egypt. He's the number two guy. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck and made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee, and he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And I'll tell you something, today, to this day, Joseph is a great hero in Egypt because what Joseph did in Egypt was he preserved Egypt from the destruction of all the nations around him. It tells us Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. That means he was somewhere around 27, 28 when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. And interestingly, it tells us Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath-Paneah, and gave him to wife Azanath, the daughter of Potipharah, not Potiphar, but Potipharah, priest of On, and Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And so not only did he get he second in command over the whole of Egypt, but he got himself the Egyptian high priest's daughter, and she was probably a babe. So he got himself the girl and the money and they lived happily ever after, right? Well, not exactly. Now we see the work of Joseph, that he gathered up all the food for seven years. He implemented his plan during the time of plenty years. And then, also during that time, Joseph had his firstborn son, Manasseh, and he also had his second son, Ephraim. And 
we'll see that they are the ones who receive the blessing. The double portion of uh, Joseph goes to each of those two, as if tribes of Israel, one tribe of Israel will be uh, rejected. That's the tribe of Dan. And these two will amount to the 11 tribes who have their portion, and then Levi has his portion from those tribes. But I get ahead of myself. And now it tells us that Joseph gathered a well and stored up during the time of plenty, and then the famine came. And when all the seven years of Darth, or famine, came, it tells us in Genesis forty-one fifty-four, when that began to come, according as Joseph had said, the Darth was in all lands, but yet in all the land of Egypt there was bread. Now everywhere else in the world they didn't practice this thing, and so Joseph really gave Egypt the opportunity here to become the greatest power on earth almost. And you'll see the blessing of God really does come to Pharaoh because of Joseph as his stock rises in the world. It says in verse 56, the famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. And the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph to buy corn because that the famine was so sore in all lands. And of course, if you think about this for a little bit, you realize that uh, these people now have a problem. People come to buy in Egypt. Egypt's the only place with food. All of a sudden, there's a currency issue, and there has to be a creation of money for interaction of trade, all these things. Joseph organized all of this. Uh, Joseph arranged all of this. And just to give you a couple of uh, pieces of information on the side, but I find them interesting. Apparently at this time, silver money was created. Uh, that's the way I read the scriptures. And even the money failed because I'm sure it got debauched in the other nations. The money in Egypt, it was attached to something real, and that was food, wheat, and or corn. We might say it was corn, any grain. By the way, corn can be any grain, but here this is corn in Egypt. And we could even probably find the plant that it was because there aren't too many corn plants that allow for seven ears on them. But the point I want to make is this. You may be deceived into thinking and to trusting riches and to think that everything's just hunky-dory with you. You've got your bank account. You've got much laid up for years. And maybe you even say to yourself, like the fool in the Gospel of Luke, soul, take thine ease. I have much riches laid up. I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. But here in Egypt, suddenly, every economy in every nation suddenly collapsed by the visitation of a seven-year famine. And I want to tell you something else. When that famine happened, even the Egyptians ran out of food for themselves, and Joseph bought all their land and them. And so all the Egyptians became chattel property, as it were, of the government of Egypt. They lost all their land. They lost the, even their person. They sold themselves to the government. And Joseph then gave them marching orders. And when they were sold to the government, they had to pay 20% taxes of everything that they grew. My point is, these people were slaves in Egypt. They paid 20% tax. How do you feel as a free man of the world? Remember, it's better to be a bondman of the Lord 
the Lord, the freeman of the world is still a bondman to the Lord, and the bondman of the Lord is still a free man. I just recommend to you that you trust in the Lord and not into riches. Well, that being said, don't want to go into the economics of this, even though it's fascinating, really, what happened at that time and the political consequences there. What we really want to see is what God is doing with this promise that he gave to Abraham by putting Joseph in Egypt. And sure enough, Genesis 42 we find out that Jacob saw there was corn in Egypt. And he tells his son, why do you look at each other? You need to get on down to Egypt and buy us some corn. And here we have the most marvelous story of the rendezvous of Joseph with his brethren. They come down to Israel to buy, and they're with everybody else there as they're in the land of Canaan. They're in the promised land. And this is a bit of a reversal because God now intends to bring his chosen people out of the land of Canaan and into Egypt, whereas before they always wandered their way down into Egypt. Remember, Abraham went down into Egypt. Isaac went down to Egypt. Here, God is intending to bless his people in Egypt, and he causes them to come down because of a famine. That's the way it happens. And yet his intention is to bring to pass the rendezvous with Joseph. And let me say that the rejection of Joseph and the rendezvous with Joseph is an Old Testament picture of the rejection of our Lord Jesus Christ and his consummate reconciliation, or the I should put it this way, the consummate reconciliation of Israel back to him. But Israel won't come back to our Lord Jesus Christ until they acknowledge their offense. You may remember that in Hosea chapter 5, it says, I'll go away for two days until they acknowledge their offense, and then he'll come back. A day with the Lord is a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. After a couple thousand years, the Lord Jesus will come back to the nation of Israel. Well, it tells us this. In Joseph, uh, Genesis 42 Verse 6, Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren and knew them, but made himself strange unto them, or made himself a stranger unto them, and spoke roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And so we see Joseph now bringing them to a recognition and a repentance of their hatred to him as they had thrown him in the pit they would even some would have killed him and as they bowed down joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed of and said to them your spies to see the nakedness of the lander you come so here now he makes up this story he accuses them of being spies and he deals roughly with them and he's purposely behaving in such a way as sovereign he's purposely behaving in such a way as sovereign as to bring them to a full repentance and to a reconciliation with himself. Here he is a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know our Lord Jesus Christ is absent, and he's poorly spoken of in the world, and he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and he humbled himself as a man. He took upon himself the form of a servant, and he died the most hideous death. He was with malefactors in his death. He was with robbers in his death. But that's not the Lord Jesus Christ, that's not the end of the story, and that's not the Lord Jesus Christ as we know him today. He did rise out from the dead. He is ascended and at the right hand of God, seated, waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. And he is also bringing to pass 
the reconciliation of the nation of Israel to himself. And here it starts out with Joseph speaking roughly to them and saying that they're spies, and he gets their story, he inquires uh, strictly of them and gets their story, and they tell him, look, we're 12 brothers, the sons of one man, and behold, the youngest is with our father, and one is not. Interesting, one is not. And Joseph said, you are spies, hereby you shall be proved, verse 15, Genesis 42, that is it that I spake unto you, saying, you are spies. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go forth hence, except your youngest brother come hither. Send one of you, fetch your brother, and you'll be kept in prison, that your words may be proved, whether there be any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all into ward three days. Very interesting. Just as he had been put into the pit, of course not as severe, where they didn't hear any of his cries, and as he had been in ward two years, now he puts them in ward. And Joseph said unto the third day, This do and live, for I fear God. If you're true men, let one of your brother be bound in the house of your prison, and you go, take corn for the famine of your houses, and bring your youngest brother to me. And so Simeon is bound up. Joseph picks out Simeon. He doesn't volunteer. Uh, Joseph picks out Simeon. Reuben says, Didn't I tell you, do not sin against the child, and you would not hear? Behold, his blood is required. Immediately Reuben knows that their blood guiltiness is upon them. Be sure that your sin will find you out. Here they come into great conviction concerning Joseph, but no admissions, and only Reuben admits. And uh, Joseph takes Simeon. And while Joseph is hearing all this, it says he turned about from them and wept and returned to them, communed with them, and took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. Well, this is quite a shock to the sons of Israel, and yet they're not really repentant at this point. Certainly Reuben is. That says something about Reuben. And they go back down to their father, and they said, we've lost our brother Simeon. Doesn't seem like um, Israel is too bothered by that and now he's got a real problem on his hand and of course God is even bringing Israel back to himself. 